0: Hey, make your way. Man, it feels good to get back in here, right? It was so discombobulated from the wedding. You know, And the chairs are all crazy. We should make that the campaign. If you have a chair in a square, you get a padded one. If you're thinking about it, you can get the old ones. And if you're not, you're going to move your way to the hard plastics. (laughs) And if you just really don't care, then you're standing at the back with the rest of us. So it might be a better campaign. What do you think? Maggie likes it. We're going for it. Hey, make your way to James chapter four. I've titled this message James chapter four. (laughs) Very catchy. (laughs) So, hey, you know, what an exciting time to be alive on this planet. I thought by now, as most of you did, things would have leveled off. We'd be back to, I don't say the normal is, but When it comes to all these social and political global issues that came upon us in 2020. Some areas are, I guess, on the upswing, doing better. Some things have remained relatively unchanged. But in this new year already, there seems to be this common thread that's weaving its way through it. And common sense has left the building. (laughs) Opinions have become... Facts, they're rampant, and instead of the dividing lines in repair, there still seems to be this ever widening gap in almost every area that you can think of. Unfortunately for us today, there are a lot of battles still going on. And we know, as the church, that we are at war. You know, we also know the mastermind of these conflicts. And we have to be aware that the enemy is always searching, always seeking the weaker prey. Those kind of things are referenced in the Bible over and over again, and they've prepared us to some extent to anticipate what's coming, hopefully. Be armed and ready with this book, with the knowledge and the wisdom found in this book, to overcome any idea that starts in our minds or any concept that would draw us away from God and the hope that is found in the person and the promises of Jesus Christ. I need a place, you need a place to hide. <laughs> and Calvary Chapel Joplin has become that place. Hopefully for you as well. Place to gather, place to worship, You can openly ask for prayer. There's fellowship opportunities. There's service opportunities. Just being in a building with those who are like minded, those who live out their faith in spirit and truth, is a huge blessing. Am I born yet already? Okay. (laughs) I'm I'm just kidding. The church can be that place, it bolsters our confidence that we are not alone conversations, opportunities, growth in Christ. They grow us closer to each other. They grow us closer to the God that we hope to to invite into this place and gather with us every week. And what a blessing it is to call this place home. But we're aware of this, that the battle is going on, happening outside these walls. But be mindful that steel and plywood and sheetrock and these things do not magically block The warfare just because we decide to come inside of this building. Where there are people, there will be battles. And Nehemiah faced all kinds of opposition in his efforts to rebuild the wall that had been destroyed there in Jerusalem. It started on the outside. People taunting him, telling him, you can't get it done, all these different things. But as the wall got higher and higher, as his faith got stronger and stronger, as he saw God do the work, the battles... Moved to the inside, right in the middle of his very midst. And I think we forget that, that the enemy of Christ is an enemy of you and me, and will not rest just because you decide to sit in a Bible study. It's a very familiar one, but it's a powerful verse in 1 Peter where he says, be sober because of this battle. Be Vigilant, because your adversary, yours, today, the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There's a little Cliff Clavin moment for you. You know, in nature, the roaring lion is most often the oldest and the slowest member of the pride of lions. He's still the man. (laughs) He's still the king of his particular group. But he needs younger, faster, and stronger lions to help him accomplish his goals. His job, for the most part, is to roar. And when it comes time to roar, roar long and roar loud. It's an intimidating roar. People are great to throw things at the lions at the zoo. I don't recommend it on a real lion in Africa. Just might want to steer clear of that. Devour. If you've ever seen an animal be devoured, I'm sure it's painful to say the least. It's an intimidating roar, but it has a very, has a very sinister purpose to it. He's old. He needs someone to help him. He'll have a hard time catching anything. And so his job is simply to roar loud enough, roar long enough, and roar strong enough to panic the herd. To get the animals running all over the place and not knowing where to go and not knowing what to do so that the stronger, more agile lions can pursue and eventually grab that weaker prey. What a lesson for us in the church The devil does not need you as a Christian to give up on the faith and return back into the world and renounce Christ and say it never happened and I don't believe. He would love that. Make no mistake. He would love that for you to do that. But he'll settle for you panicked. He'll settle for you confused and unable to find your way. Unable to grasp hold of relationships and move you forward in the faith. That's the ultimate goal is you just deny everything and walk off. But we're strong enough, hopefully, to to resist that. And he wants you confused. Outside these walls, we're always on guard. And I found that one of the most frequent places that the devil will raise a commotion and cause panic is right here. And today James addresses this topic and he gives us weapons and he refocuses us with the proper mindset. And so we're going to back just a bit up into James chapter 3 and kind of get a running start into James chapter 4. So if you're in James 4, James chapter 3, starting there in about, oh, verse 16, for where envy... And self-seeking exists, confusion, and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James chapter 4, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses. Nice Sunday service, huh? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know James chapter 4 could have been penned about the modern church and he frames this perfect relationship goal in James chapter 3 great qualities that we all want qualities like purity and being peaceable and gentle and willing to yield and the wisdom to know that if you want peace if you really want to get along with others then it's incumbent upon you As a disciple of Christ to plant seeds of peace and make every effort to grow those seeds of peace and to water those seeds. Looking at each other with the eyes of God and making it a priority that in each situation, the heart of God, the actions of God, the words of Christ are dead on the money, especially When it comes to dealing with those inside of God's own house, fail. (laughs) This is where we come apart for some reason. James asked the question if you know these things, then why are there wars and fights among you? I love how he really doesn't give you the chance to answer, and I'm not either. If it's not right, it's you. <laughs> this is premarital counseling too, by the way, if you're, if you're thinking about getting married. If there are things that are wrong in your relationship with others, it's your fault. If something is going south in your life, it's really because of you. You're the one causing the problem. <laughs> right, husbands? Look at them. Do I say yes? Yes. Yes. Yet the cure for all of these ills doesn't require a ton of effort from you. Praise God for that. The fix is found in a simple but very effective mindset. And James gives us that mindset in verse 7. Because of these things, what? Just shout it out if you know it. It rhymes with submit to God. Yeah, nailed it. When it comes to adjustments in our life, in our work, in our marriages, our attitude with the relationships around us today and and the general populace that we see every week, the first step is always the same. We have to submit to what God has called us to do and trust his plan and his wisdom. John says it the best, he must increase, and I have to decrease. There can't be anything left. Really, we want to be the person and the power of Christ. And what I'm not saying is to add more religion into your life. Placing the focus on doing certain things or not doing certain things. Putting very strict lines in place. Making sure that we don't vary from those things in the slightest. Man, that is a very slippery slope to walk. It's been tried over and over again with no positive results, really. Trying to follow all of the requirements of a holy God is a very difficult task, to say the least. I have no idea where to get a ram (laughs) or a dove, you know. Spend some time studying that Old Testament law and you will find what I'm talking about. It's difficult. It's impossible to follow those requirements of a holy God. The great apostle Paul, who pinned half the New Testament, converted on that road to Damascus, struggled with this concept of trying to do things and not do things. Flip over there to Romans chapter 7, would you, real quick? Keep your finger in James. Romans chapter 7. I don't know the page number, that's your own Bible. Paul writes this For what I'm doing, I don't understand. That makes sense? <laughs> yeah. For what I will to do, I don't practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I know what not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. But now it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will, in other words, to do the right thing is present, but how to perform what is good, I don't find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin. I find then this law. This constant, that evil is present, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law. I see another battle in myself, warring against the law in my mind and bringing me into captivity the law of sin, which is inside of me, inside my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me from this body of death? Does that sound familiar? Like, why am I here? What am I doing? I want to do this and I'm doing just the opposite. We know what to do, we know exactly what to do. We just don't do it. Not that we can't do it, we won't do it. We're born into sin. We're sinners saved by grace, and we're going to struggle in this battle. But Paul gives us his answer, and it should be our answer in Romans 7.25. Thank God for the person of Christ who allows us that altar, allows us that forgiveness, belief in Christ, the finality of the cross. He said what on the cross? It is what? Nailed it. He didn't say, it's finished. Oh, hey, one more thing. (laughs) make sure you don't have drums in your worship service. Now it's finished. Oh wait, one more thing. He just, no, it's over. It was finished. The cross was the plan the entire time. Don't be confused by that. Jesus wasn't plan B in case you goobs couldn't keep up the old Testament. He knew what was going to happen. He didn't fall prey to, oh, I didn't really anticipate that people weren't going to be able to keep this. I got to come up with something. No, Jesus was the plan to come and die as that ultimate sacrifice for our sins and gain us that interest into the holy, the holiest of holies. All that God designed for us, everything he wants for us now and eternally is found by a simple belief in the person of Jesus Christ. Ashley, can I get one? There you go. (laughs) Through this final sacrifice, the Lord reduced the entire Old Testament, all of these things, all of this detail, into two easy-to-follow directives. The first, you guys know this one, is life lived for God in His will, in His timing, for His kingdom. Mark writes, the first of all the commandments... Hear this, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. How do we do this? Back to James. Submit. Simply submit to what God wants you to do. It's this Greek word, hupatso, and I probably butchered that, but excuse me if you're a scholar. And it simply means to obey, to subject yourself. And it's found all over the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians Paul writes, Now when all things are made subject, in other words obedient to Christ, the Son of Man Himself will also be subject to Him who put all things under Him that God may be all in all. Peter writes, Therefore submit yourself, subject yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether as to the king as supreme or to governors or to those sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of those who do good. Then one more in Titus, exhort bond servants to be obedient. Same word. To their own masters, well pleasing, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God. They may wear the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. I love how James really doesn't confuse the issue here. You want to get right and stop fighting, stop warring with your brothers and sisters, just submit. Be subject to the word in your life. Be obedient to the Holy Spirit is the first and greatest objective that we have. We can't just skip over that. I love people, but I'm not a big fan of God. It doesn't work. Everything. Everything revolves around your willingness to subject yourself and do that, first, that crucial first step. The rest, without it, is a hopeless exercise at best. James is assuming at this point that we will offer ourselves in subjection. We will obey. And he gives us the next phase. First, submit yourselves to God. Then in verse 7, resist the devil, and he will flee. Draw near To God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Such a lesson here when it comes to victory in our life simple resistance standing against the enemy maybe not charging into it sometimes but at the very least standing in the areas we have been called to is such an important part of our walk each and every one of us has these places that we need to stand for the most part we tend to sit down But God wants to do what He wants to do. And we need to let Him do what He does the best. That does not in any way, shape, or form concern the enemy that we face. You know, when my daughter was interning at Estes Park, she was terrified of bears. Like most of us should be. If you're you're approached by a bear... What do you do? Anyone know? Yes, Jameson. Now, see, that's why you get killed by bears. <laughs> if you're approached by a bear, unapproach the bear, run, get to your car, scream like a junior high girl, get out of the woods. But we've learned our whole life to what? You just play dead, and the bear will leave you alone. Is is that is that true? Sort of. <laughs> Most everybody I know that's played dead is actually dead <laughs> because the bear wants to check that you're actually dead. You can ball up, you know, and, and the bear's going to check. It wants to know that you're actually dead. And so it's going to maybe bite you on the head, scratch you down the back. And as soon as you utter that scream, which would be easily gained from me, it knows you're not dead. And then it's on. Listen. We can't play dead in front of this enemy. He knows that you're not dead. This enemy knows that you're alive. We can't fake it. We can't hide it. And we can't treat it like if we just stop moving, that he will leave us alone. He will try you over and over and over again to make sure. We say the wrong thing. We do the wrong action. We become discouraged and we lose heart. It's not uncommon. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But what? God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with that temptation will also make a way of escape. That you may bear it. No pun intended. (laughs) What a hope we have as we face struggles. That we have to look for that window. Sometimes it's a tiny crack. Open it. Crawl through it. Sometimes it's a door. Run through it. But God will let you have a way out if you're looking for it. Sometimes he wants to take you all the way to the brink, and then he just, he gives you a window. That's what the Bible says. But it's up to us to be looking sometimes for that window. James moves there in verse 11. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge, you're not a doer of the law, (laughs) What you're supposed to be, a doer of the word, not just here, but you're a judge. There's one lawgiver, there's one judge who's able to save and able to destroy. Who are you to judge one another? And James is simply reminding us of that old, that, that familiar territory we need to be in to look inside of ourselves first, work on your life. Work out your salvation. Keep the focus where it needs to be. Where? Anyone? No, not yourself. Christ. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, keep your focus on Christ. Let others do their thing. If you want to help them, great. But you can't hit them with a stick. We can't judge them. And I found there are a couple ways in this world that you can build yourself up. You can do verse 9. You can look at your own life. You can evaluate it. You can ask yourself, why do I do these things? What am I doing? How should I approach this? And if I'm going in the wrong direction, just humble yourself. Ask for that forgiveness. Lord, help me get back on track. Confess those sins and let God extend to you that right hand that lifts us up. That's what it says. If you would just humble yourself, God will lift you up. And get you back to that solid place where you can refocus and move forward once again. That's one way to do it. Or (laughs) you can try to find fault in everybody else. And try to lower everyone else around you just a little bit sometimes. Or sometimes just a lot if they have a lot of faults. Push them down a little bit. Belittle them a little bit. Undermine them a little bit. And then somehow we've convinced ourselves that that makes us taller. It's not hard to find fault in people, amen? (laughs) Yeah, it's not hard. But if we look into our own lives, just see ourselves and our actions objectively, it's very difficult to do because we think we're always right. Our heart has to change. David, the mighty king of Israel, knew this better than anybody, he writes there in the Psalms to search me, O God, and know my heart and try me and know my fears, my anxieties. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Notice the focus. Man, Lord, search me. Not fix Johnny. I've tried. I gave up on that one years ago. The man's a lunatic. I love him to death. Search me. And know me, know why I'm even doing these things. Reveal that to me. If I don't know, ask. Try me, or just make sure my motives are correct. And then lead me out of this harm's way. Lead me in a better place. Not fix everyone else around me. You know, we've told our kids this for years if everyone is the problem, it's you. (laughs) If every single restaurant is wrong, then it's you. What a blessing. It is to know that God will respond to that kind of heart, to that humbleness, to that, to that transparency, to that, Lord, I just want to make sure I'm doing this for the right reasons. Every time, any place you can ask, God will fix a heart. He wants us. That's what James said. If you would just draw closer, man, God comes right in. You draw close. He draws. It's all a big, beautiful circle. James continues there in verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Spurgeon writes this concerning this portion of Scripture. There are two great certainties about things that shall come to pass. One is that God knows. The other is that you don't. <laughs> that is so true. And don't be confused here by any means. It's okay to look beyond today. It's okay To think about the future. It's okay to set those appointments and to make plans. Some of you probably have checked out already. You're thinking about lunch. Like when's this idiot going to be done? I got chicken on the grill or whatever. It's okay to make those kind of things. God wants us to think about the future. That familiar verse in Jeremiah. for God says, I know the thoughts that I think about you, says the Lord. Thoughts to what? Bring you peace, but also not of evil. Why? So that you can have a future. So that you can have a hope. I'm not sure how the world functions without hope in the future. Yeah. Knowing that God's got something up there that's going to be great. And getting there is half the fun, right? Just sit in the back seat and shut up, and we'll get there when we get there. You guys that have kids, that doesn't always work. God doesn't want us just to sit and hope that things happen. But we also shouldn't boast, as James says, like we have some inside information about what God's doing. And James, by no way, shape or form is discouraging us from planning and doing only planning and doing apart, distant from a reliance on God's leading and God's timing. In the end, we'll find a peace knowing that he has us right where he wants us. We're doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And if he chooses to do something different, then great. If he chooses to keep things the same, great. If it seems like maybe things are going downhill a little bit and struggles are happening, great. As long as we're in God's will, in the meantime, along that way, he will show us why. He will show us things that we have no idea are coming. But we have to stay on that path, ready like water to move in those mergers and to take those different paths. And James writes this powerful verse. Because of all of these things, in verse 17, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. He returns all the way back. To the heart of this book. Remember James is a, is a big doer of the word. That's his thing. Hey you have faith. Great. Do something. I'll show you my faith by my word. So we, we talked all that in James chapter 1. It's easy to understand that we're in a war. We like to use those phrases. It's easy to think about the concepts of submission to God. It's not a difficult concept to understand that we shouldn't be judging our brothers and sisters. We should be looking unto ourselves. We should be letting God have his way. These things aren't hard things to grasp. James, though, always encourages not just to understand these principles, but to actually put them to work. Oh, well, I didn't know I had to do that. <laughs> That's the battle. And Jesus writes a very familiar story in Luke chapter 12. And you're free to turn there if you want. If you're bored, just don't worry about it. I'll get there when I get there. Luke chapter 12, he writes, Let your waist be girded, and your lamps burning. And you and yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will, when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants when the master Whom the master, when he comes, finds he will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or in the third watch and find them so blessed are those servants. Anyway, he can come anytime he wants. But know this. Here's the caution. That if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That doesn't seem like a difficult concept, right? I love Peter. What are you talking about? (laughs) Look at the next verse. Are you speaking this? Are you talking to me or is this for the other people? Peter does never. He never got it. And the Lord said, what? why are you so stupid? No, that's not what he said. He said, who then is faithful and wise among you? His master will make ruler over his household and give them their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant who his master will find doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will make him a ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says, if we as the church say, well, he's not really coming, he's delaying in his return, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and eat and drink, and be drunk, and the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him, at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in two (laughs) and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew the master's will and did not prepare himself, nor do anything according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with the few. Jesus wraps up this story with a very powerful conclusion. For to everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. And that seems like a unfair for the church. That we should just do what we want. But it's not. That's the way it's supposed to be. Because I can't look at you and, and judge your walk. Well, you like this, but I don't. One of us is wrong. I'm working on myself. And James and Jesus here are relaying a similar point. Just be found doing what God has called you to do. Not concerning yourself with your neighbor. Not concerning yourself with what your co-worker is doing. Or how they're cheating the clock. Or how they're always ripping off the company. It has nothing to do with you. Do what he's called you to do. And be found doing those actions upon his return. Man, just once I would like the Lord to honor my request for the return now. Just now. See, it never happens. I'm not sure what's going on. Oh, there it is. (laughs) You can send those complaints to Jody Hendricks at (laughs) CalvaryChapelJoplin.com. My kids used to think that I was stupid. And as I've gotten older, yeah, any parents relate to that? As your kids get older, suddenly you become wiser and wiser. And my wife always works. She's worked 40 hours a week since my kids were little, and so we're out of the house. And, you know, I'm out of the house. And of course, the kids had school. And we would call them or shoot them a text when the time was appropriate. say, hey, we got company coming over whatever at six and you get home at three 30. I don't get home till five. Kim's not home till five, five thirty. Just straighten up the front room. Oh, okay. Hang up the phone. Come home. <laughs> <laughs> what you see is this. Oh, Hey, just a little bit of wipe on the table. The rest of the house is trash. Like, what are you doing? I've been cleaning. Like, no, you've, you you have not It's evident that you haven't. Their hair's all jacked up. They're half asleep. Have you done anything? Well, I'm like, no, you haven't. You know how much more so in our in our limited mental capacity to understand that. Does God know that you're just not doing what you're supposed to be doing? You're trying to. Ah, I'm, I'm okay. Listen, this week and we're almost done. Our priorities need to get back in order. The first one is what. Just shout it out if you know it. What is it? What? See how easy that is. I heard you. Yeah. <laughs> I've been doing that to the youth for years, making them repeat themselves. They get so mad. They don't even fall for it anymore. They didn't even speak up. You might not have known though. It's love God, by the way, Jameson. Okay. Hey, listen. Love God. Submit to Him. That's the first and foremost commandment that we have. That's the first step. It's always the first step. And with that love for him flowing and building and actually trying to do what? We can then extend that to somebody else. You know, it's an old adage we use around here a lot that you may be the only Bible that someone reads. You may be the only shot they get at the perfect and holy standard that is Jesus Christ. There's a lot of responsibility. What a fearful time. It's an exciting challenge. John says this. In John 13, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. And he writes this to the church, little children. Jesus says, I'm going to be with you a little longer and you're going to seek me. And as I said to the Jews where I'm going, you can't go. So now I say a new commandment that I give that you what? Love one another. Why? Because I have loved you. And I say that you love one another. And he writes this powerful truth, and this is where we wrap up today. By this, by this simple act of loving God and loving others, by this, all will know that you will be, you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Man, James does not pull any punches with us. And I need that sometimes in my life. I need to know that God is in control. I need to know that no matter what, no matter what, that he has a plan. Are we closing with some music? Anybody have anything? Let's just have an open mic time. Oh, it's Karen. You know, we were talking with my kids, you know, and and we've all done this. Maybe you as a child, even. Um, We know we're supposed to be doing or we know what we're not supposed to be doing either side of that coin. And and I found my kids and I myself, too, found myself as a young man or whatever, doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. And you hear that that scream from the house. Russell! If my mama called me Russell, I am it's over. If it actually got to Russell Lee, the belt was already out. There was no going back from that. But But I found my kids doing what they're not supposed to be doing at times, and it's so funny because I don't really find them sitting pretending like nothing's happening. They try to hide. Adam tried to hide. You know. And, and you walk into those bedrooms and there's this lump on the bed. <laughs> you know, and you see whatever's happened. You know what's happened already. And there's this lump on the bed covered in a comforter and a sheet or whatever. And you know they're there. And you're like, oh, where are you? You know, you know, you see them. I mean, God knew where Adam was. He's like, Adam. And Adam's kind of behind the curtain, you know, with his toes sticking out. Because he knows he's messed up. But God wants that out of us sometimes. I mean, you can hide, but he knows what's under the blanket. Amen? And all God is saying is, is, man, you got to come out from that blanket and just let's just get through this. Let's just navigate through this. And I've learned this to be true, and I, I love this point. That there's not a single thing, there's not a single thing that you could ever do as a human being. Or to another human being that would make God love you any less. There's not like a line that God has drawn. Well, I want to do this, but if you Mm. no, there's not a single thing that you can do to make God love you any less. There is not a single thing that you can do to make God love you any less. Nothing. What a powerful, powerful weapon that we have. God knows you're not going to get it right. He knows you're going to make mistakes. You know what? He doesn't care. That's why he came. (laughs) That's why the Lord hit feet on these earth to save sinners. What a brilliant, brilliant plan. What an amazing God that we serve. Amen? Hey, why don't we stand? I want to get the leaders that want to come down front here just to kind of make your way down. Hey, listen. It's a very simple process, but you do well to understand that if you're here and you don't know Christ, Christ wants to know you. You guys ever been around someone who doesn't want to be around you? Yeah, it's a very painful experience, right? When you know that the person you're hanging out with really doesn't like you a bit, they only tolerate you because of your looks, <laughs> you know? But man, how much more so do we love hanging around those people who really want to hang around us? Man, God is that guy. And God is that God that He just, man, let's go. Bring your garbage, bring it. You know, bring your cleanness. Just just any excuse God can have to get together with us, that's what He wants to do. And so listen, we're going to pray here real quick. And if that's you, if you need that if that salvation is now and that today is the day, and maybe God has said something great, and any one of these of God's servants down here or the guy next to you, it doesn't matter. And if you're here as the church and, you know, you just, man, I just need to reset a little bit and some prayer on things, these guys are brilliant at what they do. Absolutely brilliant brilliant at what they do. And so we want to pray. And then as we close, you know, just, just, Hey, if you need it, you got to come get it. And I mean that in the rightest of heart, maybe the wrongest of words. And so God, we thank you for uh, this time today in your word. Lord, we thank you for the power of your promises that uh, we have to submit Lord. And you'll, you'll honor that and you'll draw near and you'll strengthen us. God, I thank you for this time with this family. And I pray that you just bless the rest of our day, Lord, in the rain or whatever we got going on, rest or whatever those plans are, that we would submit those things to you. We would subject ourselves to you in, in in those moments. And, Lord, you would just show yourself as capable, maybe when we've just kind of doubted those things. And we lift it all to you. We pray that you have your hand on it. And, Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.